Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in information security, technology, and humans. The idea is content curation as a service. I spend between 5 and 20 hours a week consuming books, articles, and podcasts. I then take what I learned from that content and turn it into a concise 30-minute summary. If you enjoy or get value from the show, you can become a member at danielmesor.com support. Becoming a member gets you access to special content, which I just put up my first installation of last week. And thanks to all the members who have signed up recently. All right, welcome to episode 103. Going to start off with security news like usual. Uber revealed that over a year ago, researchers found sensitive credentials in a public GitHub repo, and they used those credentials to gain access to systems and extract customer data on around 57 million people. There's a whole bunch of confusion around the story right now. And uh, even though it's been like over a week since it came out, if you have sort of complete clarity in your mind one way or the other on this story, I recommend that you discard that clarity and wait for more information. Uh, the key point of contention here is around whether Uber paid the researchers not to go public with their findings and sort of what was the mechanism for them doing that. The media took this payoff to mean that it was like hush money, like you would see in like extortion, right? But uh, a lot of further details that came out uh, made it look more like a bounty where essentially the same exact thing happened. Researchers find things and they're paid not to tell anyone else. But the line between these two things is not nearly as bright as most people think or would want it to be. My advice is to hold your strong opinions for more information on the story because uh, we're probably going to learn more about it in coming days or weeks. The relationship between researchers and companies, as we just heard about, continues to be volatile. And uh, DJI recently came after a bug bounty researcher and threatened him with legal action. The researcher was initially submitting issues as part of an official bug bounty run by DJI, but after got multiple instances of pushback and fights with the DJI team, he basically pulled out of the program and went public. And he published his results in a blog paper called Why I Walked Away from 30 Grand of DJI Bounty Money. Google has been tracking Android users' location even after they've turned off location tracking. Android continues, in my opinion, to be a security nightmare. And I think it's because it was literally created by an advertisement company to expand its ad business. I mean, think about that, right? Its entire Android ecosystem is there so that Google can sell more ads. That's what Google is. It's an ad company. Or at least that, that's its soul. And in that light, it seems a lot more obvious why they continue to have such constant security problems. They're a multi-billion multi dollar company. They could easily address security if they wanted to, or at least they could do a better job. I think it's simply 
good enough. Their security is simply good enough for them, which is fine, right? It's not for me to judge, but it's not good enough for me. And I don't think it's arguably good enough for anyone else who wants security from their mobile platform. Amazon has launched a new secret region for its AWS product, meaning it's designed specifically for the purpose of allowing sensitive information up to and including its secret classification. And they also claim that they're the only provider to have all the way from unclassified all the way to top secret. I didn't know about the top secret one. That's pretty interesting. Princeton researchers are reporting that significant numbers of websites are using session replaying to capture both the exact contents of the page that you're on, plus the exact mouse movements and keyboard actions. So they can do things like capture what you type before you even submit it to a forms. Um, some companies are actually sending these recordings to third parties and even linking them to specific user identities. Pretty scary stuff. So it's worse than just, you know, web analytics or basic tracking. This is knowing exactly what you click and exactly what the page looked like when you did click on it. So it's much deeper than usual. AI is being used to find Chinese missile sites. Like Information Security Operation Center, SOX, this is going to be another situation where AI will make massive headway simply because of the numbers, right? Basically, there aren't enough good analysts and AI can look at a lot more data and do it continuously. This will give AI a massive foot in the door in places like satellite imagery, um, analysis of satellite images, uh, security event analysis. The advantage is basically that you could be pretty bad at this as an AI or as an algorithm and still be better than nothing. And that's what we have right now in so many situations. We have nothing. We have nobody looking at this data. If the AI can at least find some nuggets to show an L2 analyst, it's provided some value. And if and when they actually get better than an L1 analyst, well, that'll be a whole separate conversation. Technology news. Twitter has been on fire regarding net neutrality for basically the entire last week, probably continue into this week as well. Uh, the deadline is coming up, I think, in around 20 days or so. This uh, piece here from Wired gives a really good summary of what can go wrong once we lose it. Uh, one of the key examples it gives are um, that we're already seeing examples, right? So it, that's the key point it makes is we're already seeing this happen. So advantages given to certain services based on their affiliations with, with providers. So an example here is AT&T customers accessing DirecTV now are not being charged for the data, right? Small example, but this is, uh, according to the people who are against this uh, change being made by the FCC, this is what we're going to see a lot more of if it happens. And I've got a link here to my thoughts on this debate uh, about net neutrality as well. Bitcoin is past $9,000. That's ridiculous and awesome and scary. It's a lot of things altogether. QR codes have been growing in popularity in Asia. Um, growing in popularity is not quite right. They, they're kind of booming. They're doing really well. Uh, a lot of uh, 
contactless payments are being done with them. And the trend is expected to expand into Europe and the US as well. iOS 11, not a lot of people know this, but iOS 11 now has a native QR code reader. So you just open up the camera, you point it at any QR code, you don't have to press anything, and it will automatically parse the code and give you a little notification badge at the top that says, you know, here's the website, click on here to navigate to it. Human news. A study has found that people who voluntarily seek out solitude are more creative. This isn't really surprising to me. I do find it interesting that they make the distinction between solitude, which is willful, versus loneliness, which is usually undesirable. Basically, if you wish that you weren't alone, you're lonely. But if you like being alone and you seek it out, then you enjoy solitude and you tend to be more creative, according to the study. That's what I took from it anyway. It's easy to oversimplify these studies, though, um, especially when you're reading an article that's already been parsed once, right? So they could have already got it wrong. And then you parse the article, so it's like a game of telephone. American doctors make twice as much as doctors in other rich countries on average. And it could be in part due to something like a cartel controlling every part of the supply and demand sort of mechanism for doctors. Pretty cool right up here. Health IQ is a startup that collects health data from healthy people so they can save an average of $1,200 or so on life insurance per year. I think this is going to be part of another trend where when you capture everything through IoT devices and wearables, you're going to have more services like this become available because you'll just be able to target rich people or healthy people or whatever and offer them services just because you have access to data that, that they're providing you. Um, so, so, and the more data you have about this healthy person, you know, the more compelling a case you can make for them having a discount on life insurance, for example. So it, all this data flowing into, you know, the collective system is going to uh, not only be bad for a lot of reasons, uh, but it will also enable a lot of businesses to be able to uh, create something unique based on that data. Ideas. Why we'll see security operation centers sooner rather than later. This is my response to why so many people, or my response to so many security people basically saying that AI can't do InfoSec analyst work, how all the current products are garbage, and how it'll be very long time before any of this changes. So I've had a couple debates with a, a few um, colleagues online, and uh, they're all super um, bearish on uh, AI in InfoSec. Uh, basically saying that, you know, it's it's too innovative, it's too creative, you know, it's too hard to do. And it just sort of reminds me, it sounds exactly like what people were saying about uh, chess and, uh, and Go and poker and all these other things, right? It was basically impossible five years ago, and now it's super easy. And now I'm hearing the exact same noises coming from people in InfoSec in my industry. And I, I just um, don't think that's going to hold up. But 
as I talk about in this piece here, it's not actually about whether or not you can replace a quality L1 human analyst. That's not the problem. The problem is our human analysts are only looking at a tiny, tiny percentage of the IT and information security data exhaust that is coming out of all these products. It, you know, I, I don't know what the percentage is, but less than 1%, I'm guessing. They're, they're, they're not seeing anything. Um, and they can't because we can't hire enough people to do the work. And even if we could hire enough people to do the work, they're still human. They still have biases. They still get tired. They still have to go home and rest. They still, you know, have off hours. There's shift problems. Like um, there's biases in people's life experience. So you can actually have the same training and, and still get different results in the analysis. Um, it's just crazy how much better an AI would be at looking at this data. Not, not because it would do a better job of being creative and looking at what it sees, but just the fact that it's seeing the other 99% of the data. So the bar is very low. The bar is very low. Oh, the other thing is when you train a human, it's just as hard the second and third time as the first time. When you train an AI, you right click, copy, right click, paste. And now you have a new AI that took you half a second, right? And it's really less time than that because you don't have to do that. Um, you can literally sick thousands of AIs on terabytes of data in the time it takes to, I don't know, start a car to get ready to drive to a training center for a human. So that is the type of scale and the, and the type of advantage, the leverage that an AI has at looking at data. And when we're talking about terabytes and, and just tons of terabytes of data in all these companies that's not being looked at, that's where AI will become powerful in socks. That's why AI will have a big impact it's because at least somebody will be looking at the data, even if it's just an algorithm. And that will be a massive advantage. All it needs to do is find something interesting to hand to a human, and it's already proved its value. So that's why I think it's going to be big, not because it's going to be better than humans anytime soon, if ever. Uh, wrote an essay called simplifying net neutrality to capture my opinion on net neutrality. I think I actually worked out my opinion while I was writing it, which happens often actually. Writing as a process for discovery, basically. I um, decided not to name the piece until I was actually done, which worked well for this type of thing. Uh, basically, I figure out <laughs> my thought process as I was writing. And of course I had a conclusion because then I had some momentum and then I looked back at the conclusion and the sort of argument and then I named it as opposed to starting with the title. But um, I think I ended up in pretty good place um, sort of saying, if reality looks like this, then we should have net neutrality. If reality looks like this, then we shouldn't but uh, you could read the piece. Or I think I might actually do a uh, idea series on it, so it could be a standalone essay. All right, discovery. 
Open Culture's list of 1,300 free online courses from top universities like Stanford, Berkeley, Yale, MIT, Oxford. So I've posted a few of these over the last, what, whatever, year or two. Um, this one looks really comprehensive and really strong. 1,300 different courses, lots of different schools here. Definitely a very cool link. Give it the fire icon. That's how much I believe in it. Um, someone on Reddit compiled a list of 149 great American books in chronological order because they plan on reading them in that order, which I thought was super cool. I plan on reading a number of them and I actually feel pretty bad that I haven't read many of them um, on the list. Luckily, I have read like 20 of them, but not, uh, not anywhere near where I need to be. Run the first edition of Unix, 1972 is the year it came out. It's not its name. Uh, within a Docker image. So I was just doing this a couple of minutes ago. It was super cool. Log in with root, dropped you into a shell, no password. That's 1972 for you. And uh, instead of CD, it was CHDIR, change dir, uh, which got, I assume, just got shortened to CD. But that was cool. Very, very fun to sort of mess around with the uh, the beginnings of, of Unix, which, of course, now Linux runs the whole world. So that was super fun. I recommend you go and do that. It takes like two minutes to set up, including installing Docker. Spam is back, but it's taking new shapes now. Telemarketing, social media spam, really cool piece here. How to run the latest version of Nmap on Ubuntu. This is a tutorial I just put up a couple of days ago. Five ways to instantly upgrade your online typography. This is another piece that I put up a couple of days ago. I did a bunch of writing over the holiday. And this one is all about um, just like four or five things. I actually think it might have ended up being four, even though I called it five ways. Whatever. I'll find another one. Make it right. But uh, the idea is if you do these things in your online writing, whether it's blogging or whatever, like it'll just make your, your text and your, your writing look a lot better and feel a lot better for, for readers. Um, just in time for Christmas, here's every Amazon Echo device compared in like columns. And it's got uh, multiple different ways to do the comparisons. Uh, they all have a checkbox in the NSA column, by the way, in case you're wondering about that. An interesting list of reasons Tim Ferriss left the Bay Area and moved to Austin. This was just uh, buried somewhere. I think it might have been in like his AMA or I'm not sure where it was, but it was somewhere on Reddit. And it got a ton of traction recently because a lot of the reasons were just really strong. Um, kind of hit home quite a bit, especially since I'm born and raised in the Bay Area. But um, yeah, it's really, really good list. You should check it out. The bureaucracies that prevent a national toll road system this is a sad read, so if you want to weep uncontrollably, you should read about bureaucracies in, in that post. That should be a strong sell. Um, how to always edit your cron tab using Vim. This one I wrote out of frustration. It is a short tutorial to keep you from getting dropped into Nano when you don't want to be, which is never. 
Meet one of the new breed of professional role-playing GMs in New York City. This is a wired piece following a professional GM. Uh, it's a game master or, or a dungeon master in uh, New York City. Really cool piece. Recorded for the first time, check out how this octopus defends itself from a shark. Um, we're on the radio here, so I mean, you can't really click, so I'm just gonna tell you what it is. This octopus grabs a whole bunch of shells in each of its arms and pulls the shells into itself. So it's like covered in shells and the shark comes up to it and like pokes it with its nose and it like rolls like a ball. But it's just like this ball of shells. And the moment the shark turns its back, it throws all the shells away and, and swims away. It is like the coolest looking thing ever. You got to check it out. Latest version of Nmap has an SMB protocols NSE script, which can tell you how bad a given system is in terms of SMB patching and functionality. NSE scripting is the coolest thing about Nmap right now. Nmap is becoming basically a security scanner because of NSE scripting. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely awesome. Um, really cool to have this one, SMB-protocols for a new script, but there are tons of others. Um, I'm actually writing a tool which uh, uses a bunch of them as well. So if you're not using NSC scripting with your Nmap, you should get into it. Netlify, Netlify, I don't know how to pronounce that. It is a complete CMS with no server whatsoever and just 18 lines of code. Looks pretty cool. I think it's basically like a Hugo instance where your database is GitHub, but it looks pretty cool. Gitminer is advanced mining for content on GitHub. Instead of using like repossessed, like the system that I, um, I built for doing this, which is uses like um, ripgrep to find sensitive strings inside of content. This one is using Google dorks to find sensitive content in GitHub. So pretty cool, Gitminer. Notes for this week. I switched from the native podcast app to iOS. Um, oh, oh, on iOS to Overcast. And uh, here's my explanation of why I made the change. Basically, Overcast has a lot of features. I don't really like the design layout of how I get to different podcasts and how I view them and listen to them and everything in iOS. So, yeah. I made the switch and I'm pretty happy with it. Oh, it also has smart speed feature on it, um, which by the way, uh, people hate, or, or my friend Mark hates when I, I mention this, but uh, if you're not listening to podcasts at a faster speed, I recommend you try it. Different uh, people who are speaking, you will want to listen to at different speeds. I like to listen uh, to myself when I have to go and check for mistakes that I have to cut out or whatever. I listen at a very fast speed. And um, some people I leave at the regular speed because they talk fast, like Benedict Evans on A16Z. He talks crazy fast. If you speed him up to 1.5x, it is 
unintelligible. But um, other people, I need to go to like 2.5. So I don't attack myself with something sharp. So um, yeah, I would check it out. And, and the smart speed thing, it actually takes out pauses, it actually does, it doesn't just speed it up raw, it does some intelligent things. Um, and actually, you could see a, a readout. While you're listening to a thing, it'll speed up to like 1.5, then it'll go to like two, then it'll go back down to one or whatever, based on the flow of the conversation that you're listening to. So recommend uh, checking out Overcast if you haven't seen it already. Also wanna give a shout out to my friend, Mark uh, Cunningham for coming over and uh, helping me mess with some audio stuff. He's done a bunch of music stuff in the past we were just messing around with like different audio settings and hopefully you might see some of those fruits in uh, future recordings. Recommendations for the week. Run Repossessed, which is a tool I wrote for finding sensitive content in code repositories on all your public facing GitHub repos. Find the bad news basically before someone else does and get it fixed. Um, oh, another note forgot here. Um, I just had LASIK done at UC Berkeley and my vision is now spectacular. I think I mentioned this last week as well. C basically couldn't be happier with the entire experience. Um, so I got rid of one pair of glasses for now anyway, and just purchased a pair of prospect with a K at the end computer glasses, which I'm wearing right now, which you probably can't hear because that would be weird. Um, at the request of my eye doctor, she basically said, yeah, you know, get some computer glasses and they're completely clear to the naked eye anyway, but they block blue and they block glare. And evidently they just uh, allow your eyes to relax and sort of function more normally. And they're not kind of filtering all this stuff out and getting tired um, and since I look at a computer all day, I, I decided to do it. So I bought a couple off of Amazon. I think I like the prospect ones better. They're a little bit wider. I kind of had a, have a wide face. So, um, yeah, uh, they're cheap too, like 50 bucks or whatever. Uh, so the recommendation is to run repossessed, basically go find all of your public repos for the company that you work at. Um, or if you have someone who doesn't know how to do this, do this for them. You just download the repo into the target directory. You run the repo command, repossessed command, and it will find tons of horrible stuff in your code, which you can then go and get cleaned up. And the aphorism for this week, the good life is one inspired by love and guided by knowledge. The good life is one inspired by love and guided by knowledge. And that's by Bertrand Russell. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsupervised Learning. And don't forget, you can also get the show, including all the links to the things I mentioned, in text form by signing up for the email newsletter at danielmiesler.com newsletter or via the blog post for each episode. I'll see you next time.